following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We took a break for Easter last week from our series, but we're getting back into our, our series at the moment on the Sermon on the Mount. So that's where we're going to be this morning, Matthew chapter 5. We've been uh, working through this uh, sermon that Jesus preached, the greatest sermon ever preached. It goes through Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, and it describes to us what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus, to move out of the crowd, just out of the spectators, out of the, out of the people that are looking on, to become part of that community that truly seeks to follow Jesus as a disciple, as an apprentice of Jesus. And that's the essence of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been working through it. It's already taken us into some very interesting places, has it not? Those of you that were here two weeks ago, you're nodding or looking at the ground right now. <laughs> And it's going to take us into some interesting territory this morning as well. We've got some, we've got some tricky territory to get through uh, today, but it's just a short passage in Matthew 5 this morning, so I'll read this to you. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 31 and 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So I'm really aware, like, yes, this is a passage on divorce and marriage, remarriage, and so on. And I know in the room here, there, there are going to be people in a whole lot of different spaces and different relationships, different marital status. I know that. I'm really aware of that. As we come to the passage this morning, there's going to be, there are some of you who are married, some of you happily married, some of you in some other category of married. <laughs> some, of you are, some of you are single. And, and I know, single people, I know that you, you may read this and listen to this and feel like, well, this is, this is a waste of time for me coming to church today. This is the day we're talking about marriage. Why did I bother coming to church? But let me just mention two quick things, single people. Number one, Jesus was single, wasn't he? So the guy saying these things was single. And... There would have been single people in the audience listening to Jesus. Uh, I'm sure there would have been. Not just, there's not just a group of married people. And Jesus doesn't say before he launches into this, single people, why don't you go get a coffee because I'm just talking to the married people. He, he talks to everybody. And so he was wanting the single people who were there to hear this. There is something here for you, single people. There is deep wisdom here for you as well. Uh, I know some of you will be separated. Some of you will be divorced. I know for those of you in those spaces, th- this can be a tough passage. And it can raise difficult things, it can raise difficult emotions and memories and experiences, and some of you may be kind of feeling like this is going to be like a big beat-up kind of message, and just you're waiting for the hammer to fall. And I just want to say right at the outset, it's not that. Uh, This is not any kind of condemnation. I hope you can hear that. I don't think Jesus said these words with an ounce of condemnation or wanting to lay a guilt on top of people, or wanting to sense shame for people. This is a word of love, and it's a word of grace, and it's a word of hope, including for separated and divorced people. And I want you to hear that. So don't wince thinking, oh, this is going to be bad news for me. Uh, The gospel is always good news, and it's good news for you this morning too. So wherever we are at this morning, okay, wide range of experiences, but whether you are single or engaged, Francois, or married, or civil union, or separated, or divorced, or widowed, 
Are there any other categories? Those are probably the main ones. Uh, wherever we're at, this is for us. And there is life and truth in the words of Jesus. Okay, let's dive in. Verse 31, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, what Jesus is doing here is quoting from the Old Testament. And he is verbatim quoting a passage from the book of Deuteronomy. I want to just take you back there briefly because it's, it's helpful and quite illuminating to see the context that this comes out of. So Deuteronomy 24, uh, I'll just run through this and just notice as I read this, Deuteronomy 24, the conditions given for divorce. These were the conditions for divorce in ancient Israel. These were the grounds under which someone could divorce. And uh, here it is. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. <laughs> oh, there's a lot in there. That's tricky. Aren't you glad we don't live under the Old Testament law? Or maybe some of you wish we did. Um, the, the, I mean, just look at the conditions for divorce. If he finds, um, and, and this is always the husband, okay, this is how it was. If he finds something indecent about her, if he dislikes her, if she becomes displeasing to her, that's, that's pretty loose. That's, I mean, you could drive a bus through that, couldn't you? And some people did. Those are pretty open conditions for divorce. So contrary to what a lot of people think, in the Old Testament, the way this developed is there were a lot of conditions under which people could get divorced, or at least a husband could send a wife away, pretty much anything that she did that he didn't like. Some rabbis even joked that a husband could divorce his wife if she burned his dinner, which probably led to a lot of wives intentionally burning their dinners. <laughs> so you had all these situations that would allow for divorce to happen and there was generally a very relaxed view of what could, what, what could constitute grounds for divorce. So by the time then you get to Jesus in the first century, what had happened is that you, you had a debate between these two schools of thought among the religious leaders, the Pharisees. There's two schools of thought on this. There was the very open liberal school of thought, which said you can get divorced for pretty much any reason. Uh, a husband could send his wife away for any and every reason, and it was totally at his discretion, pretty much what it says in Deuteronomy 24. So there were some in Jesus' day who held to the liberal view, open, uh, very many categories of divorce. And then there was another category of people who held a very strict interpretation of the law and said, no, the only condition for getting divorced is sexual immorality or unfaithfulness. If the spouse has had an affair, that is the only grounds that there is for divorce. So two different schools, and this debate was raging, and people, of course, wanted Jesus to step into this debate. They were trying to draw Jesus into them. This is, this is Mark 10, and I'll get to that passage in a moment, but they want Jesus to take a side on that debate, because everyone wants Jesus on their team, right? So they're saying, Jesus, what do you think about this debate? hoping that he would side one way or the other. And this is where Jesus' words here come from. And so here's how he responds to that debate that's going on in verse 32. But I tell you, this is Jesus telling them, 
that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, it sounds, doesn't it, on the surface, like Jesus is siding with the conservatives. And he's siding with the strict view and saying, well, the only condition for divorce is sexual immorality. But this is where we need to look a little more carefully at the word that Jesus uses here for sexual immorality. The Greek word is the word pornea. And it, it basically means sexual sin of any kind. It is a different word to the word for adultery. There is a word for adultery and there is a word pornea. Pornea certainly includes adultery, but is not limited to that. Uh, it is sexual immorality of many kinds. It is sexual sin of many kinds. You can hear in the word pornea, it is the word from which we get the word pornography. And that immediately raises a very thorny question. Is Jesus saying that you can divorce your spouse because they look at pornography? Because he's saying it, except for pornography. Uh, and the answer is, it's not that simple. It's not quite that simple. Uh, the word pornea does refer to a broad category of sexual sin, but as, as you look at each of the instances this word is actually used in the New Testament, it is also true that the primary reference of this word is to illicit sexual activity. So it has this broader meaning, but most of the time, the primary thing that's in view is some kind of illicit sex. And so that's probably primarily what Jesus is talking about, is illicit sexual activity on the part of the husband or the wife. But what he is doing here, Jesus, masterfully, is walking between these two schools of thought. Uh, on the one hand, he's not siding with the liberals. He's, he's not saying, well, you can get divorced for any reason. He's not just reiterating Deuteronomy 24. He's clearly tightening it up from that. But at the same time, he's not purely siding with the conservatives either, is he? Because he doesn't just use the word for adultery. He uses this word pornea. And so he is at least suggesting, I think, that there may be a broader set of circumstances that allow for the possibility of divorce. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But let's just tail off on this passage and finish off the text. So he says, uh, if anyone divorces his wife except, let me find it again, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That, that sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Those last few words. I mean, if you, if you took that in a literally wooden kind of way, then you would have to say that anyone who is divorced for any reason other than an affair could never remarry. Because if they did, they'd commit adultery. That, that's, that's where it would lead you. And so you would end up saying to the person who is divorced because their husband or their wife ran off on them and deserted them, but if that person didn't have an affair, you'd still have to say to the innocent victim, you can't remarry, and if you do, you're committing adultery. And honestly, I just don't think that's in keeping with the heart of Jesus. I just don't think that's in keeping with the broader teachings of Jesus and the heart of grace that Jesus has. Jesus is on the side of the victim. Jesus is on the side of the powerless. He's on the side of those who are mistreated. And I don't think he is. I don't think he's giving you the conditions, the specific conditions for remarriage as much as he is lifting up the importance and the sanctity and the priority of marriage. I think the problem is that we come at this passage wanting a checkbox kind of system 
And we want to come at this with our you know, boxes that say, Jesus, I want you to give me the exact conditions that allow for divorce. Tick, 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 cross, cross, cross. And I want you to give me the exact conditions that people can remarry. Tick, 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 cross, cross, cross. And Jesus won't let you do that. He didn't let that happen in the categories of his own day. He didn't just side with this group or this group. He chose a third road. And he won't do it in our day. He won't let you. This is not a passage just about ticking boxes. It's not this black and white thing where, yes, in this situation, it's okay to divorce. In this situation, it's okay to remarry. It is more nuanced than that. And we need to come back to, I think, some deep fundamental truths that Jesus is teaching here about the nature of marriage and the nature of divorce that all of this rests upon. So what I want to do is focus on three statements that I think summarize Jesus' teaching here. Three summary statements that I think draw the threads together. Rather than trying to do a tick box thing, trying to focus on what are the central truths that are going on in this passage. So here's three statements for you. The first one is this. God loves marriage and hates divorce. I think that's pretty clear from what Jesus says. And I know that's, that's quite harsh language. That is, that's simply biblical language from the book of Malachi. God hates divorce. That is the reality. But let me just take you for a minute through to the other passage where Jesus says the same thing, but in a, in a broader context. In Mark chapter 10, this is the scene where people are trying to draw Jesus into the debate about marriage and divorce. Mark 10 too. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So what Jesus is saying is in the beginning, God has designed marriage and he's created marriage and marriage is a good thing and God blesses marriage and God loves marriage and it was his idea. And in the beginning, there was no such thing as divorce. Divorce is not there in Genesis 1 and 2. It's not part of God's original plan for humanity. Divorce came later. Divorce was something that became part of Israel's law. It wasn't part of the original plan, but it became part of the law as a concession that God made to the Israelites because their hearts were already hard, because they were already unfaithful to each other, and they were broken people and full of sin and unfaithful to God. And so God makes this concession in the law and says, okay, so this is, this is happening. I'm going to allow for this provision of divorce. But it was never part of God's original plan. So I think we need to understand that every time there is a divorce, God is grieved. It's not his design. And I, again, please, hear, I'm, this is not a word of condemnation. This is just the way the biblical story presents marriage to us is that every time there is a divorce, it grieves the heart of God because it's not part of his original plan. And I think in a culture that takes divorce so lightly, that takes marriage so lightly, trivializes marriage and trivializes divorce, I think we need to be willing to say this. I think we need to be willing to say that marriage is a good and godly and honorable thing and divorce is not part of God's plan. I know that divorce is something today that is just so easily done. And married couples go into marriage, you know, they, of course everybody thinks that marriage is going to last a lifetime. You know, on your wedding day, you think it's going to be forever and you say these vows and it's fantastic and all the feelings are there. But down the road... Things get hard in sickness and in health, richer or poorer. 
and things get tough, and it's all too easy for married partners to bail out when things get hard, and divorce is an easy option. I love the words of D.A. Carson. I've read this at several weddings that I've taken, and it's from his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, In God's word, marriage and love are for the tough-minded. Marriage is commitment. And far from backing out when the going gets rough, marriage partners are to sort out their difficulties in the light of Scripture. They are to hang in there, improving their relationship, working away at it precisely because they have vowed before God and man to live together and love each other for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness as in health, until death separates them. Love is the determined commitment to seek the other's good, to cherish, shelter, nurture, edify, and show patience with one's partner. And this commitment, worked out because of deep-rooted obedience to God, brings with it the emotional and sentimental aspects of love as well. I think it's really well said. I think he's, he's putting his finger on the importance of marriage being built not on the feelings of love, not on whether you're in love or out of love with your partner, but on the biblical idea of love, the agape love, the self-sacrificing love of being willing to put the other ahead of yourself, regardless of how you feel, lift up the needs of the other ahead of your own love, uh, ahead of your own self, honor and cherish the other above yourself. This is the kind of love that marriage is built on. And this is my encouragement and my challenge to those of you who are married today is to build, keep building that relationship on the foundation of biblical love. And I know some of you are here and you're like, man, I wish my husband and wife was here to hear this. And if, if you just knew what they were like, and you, I know you've got a long, long list of grievances, long list of problems of the other person and all the things they do that annoy you and all the things that you wish they could hear and all that if you just knew. I know you think your situation is unique and different and you're the one who's got legitimate reasons to get out of this marriage. And I just want to urge you and encourage you not to think so much about what is wrong with your spouse, but ask God to take a look at your own heart and just have a look at your own life and your own heart. And rather than saying, here's what's wrong with my husband, here's what's wrong with my wife, ask yourself, how can I become a more faithful husband or a more faithful wife? How can I make myself a more loving, serving and sacrificial person, even when it's not reciprocated? Ultimately, this is the, the purpose of marriage is to make us like Jesus. It's not to make you happy. I mean, I hope you are happily married. But ultimately, there's a higher purpose for marriage, which is to make you like Jesus, which is to form your character into the character of Christ. And so for you that are married, I want to encourage you to find those ways to show genuine love, real love to your spouse, to move towards oneness, maybe to move towards reconciliation where that needs to happen, to move towards greater and greater unity, not to see separation and divorce as an easy option if marriage is getting hard for you. So God loves marriage and he hates divorce. Second statement, separation and marriage are realities of the broken world that we live in. And having said everything that I said in the first point, this is also part of biblical truth, that divorce is a reality, separation is a reality, we are broken people, we're sinful people, our marriages and our families don't always go the way that we want to. You can see in scripture there are legitimate times, there are legitimate grounds when divorce is an option. One of those is certainly times of adultery, that's the clearest thing I think that Jesus says, although even then I would add the caveat, not adding to the words of Jesus, but I would say even in those cases where there has been an affair, 
that doesn't have to mean the end of your marriage. There are plenty of couples that have come back from affairs. Just because that might give you biblical grounds for divorce, just because divorce may be permissible for you, doesn't mean it's inevitable. Some of you may need to hear that. Doesn't mean it's inevitable. There are couples who have experienced an affair and have, over a really painful process, rebuilt trust, rebuilt love, rebuilt their marriage from nothing, and come through to have a marriage that is stronger than the one they had before the affair happened. That can happen. There are good stories out there of people that can witness to that. And so I just want to encourage you, even if you're in the brokenness of dealing with a spouse who's had an affair, don't assume that it is necessarily all over. But seek good counsel. Seek godly counsel. So there are times when divorce is going to be a legitimate option. You say, well, what about other time? What about other situations? Is it just immorality, having an affair? Uh, there are other times in Scripture where this comes up. In 1 Corinthians, Paul gives us another one. He says, if you're in a situation where you're a believer, and you're, this is 1 Corinthians 7, and your spouse is an unbeliever, and they want to leave, Paul says, let them go. He doesn't say, stand in their way, stop it, close the door. He says, let them go. So there's another set of circumstances. And I think that we can be open to the fact there may be situations, even beyond the ones the Bible specifically talks about, that may mean divorce and separation is a legitimate option. I mean, the obvious example is abuse. So there's no, there's no verse in the Bible that says, if your spouse is abusive to you, you may leave. There is no. Jesus just didn't address that. But here's what one writer, David Gushy, says about this. He says, One cannot find a biblical text in which burning a child or a wife on the arm with a cigarette or throwing them down the stairs or banging their heads against a wall or enlisting them in a murder plot is listed as grounds for divorce. Such actions, however, constitute a fundamental assault on the meaning of marriage. And I think he's right. So it may not be a scripture that you can point to that says abuse constitutes grounds for divorce, but if you're in a situation where your spouse is physically abusive or emotionally abusive towards you, there is no biblical imperative for you to stay. You, the best thing that you can do if you are in an abusive relationship is to get out. Even if just separation temporarily while you figure things out, but to get out. And I know we need tremendous wisdom here because there may be a difference between a small, minor, one-off act that is quickly repented of and a major, serious, ongoing pattern of abuse. So we've got to take all those things into account. But if you're in a, if you're in a situation where you are in some kind of abusive relationship, the best thing that you can do is to get out, at least temporarily. And you don't need to feel like, well, Jesus didn't say anything about it, so I've got to stay. No, Jesus' heart for you is for your safety and for your well-being, for you to be in a good space of healthy relationships. And it's okay to leave in those circumstances because, as David Gushy says, abuse is such a fundamental violation of the marriage covenant. It is on par with a spouse having an affair. It's a rupturing of that covenant of marriage that you've both committed to. So yes, there are situations where, from a Christian perspective, divorce may be a legitimate option. My encouragement to you, because we can't deal with all of this here, right? This is not like a counseling office, and I'm not a counselor. But what I can say is that if you are in that space and you are 
your marriage is falling apart or you're going through separation or you're considering divorce, please seek out a godly Christian counselor and let them walk with you through this journey. Okay, don't make big decisions just on the basis of what you hear in one sermon. Seek out the godliest, most biblical counselor you can find. Submit yourself to a process of counseling. Let them be a good guide. Don't just surround yourself with the voices of all your friends who are already divorced because you know what they're going to tell you. Surround yourself with the, the wisest, most mature Christians that you know. Find a great professional Christian therapist and walk through that journey. Don't rush. Don't panic. Take your time. Find godly counsel. If you need a Christian counselor, let me know, and we can always make referrals in total confidence. So, number one, God loves marriage and hates divorce. Number two, Divorce and separation are realities of a broken world. Number three, for those who are divorced or separated, God is a God of grace and hope. And this is what I want you to hear, that if you are separated today, if you are divorced, I don't want you to hear a word of condemnation or judgment, but you need to know that God loves you and he is for you. God knows the pain of separation and he knows the pain of divorce is some of the greatest suffering that we can ever go through in our lives. And for those of you that experienced that trauma, you need to know that Jesus is with you and he's for you and he loves you and he's a God of hope. There is always hope. The gospel is not a gospel of shame and condemnation. It's a gospel of hope. And I want to show you from the gospels how this works because there's a, there's a particular little story where Jesus shows this. I mean, it's one thing for him to say it in the Sermon on the Mount, but then he goes and does it. And uh, in John chapter 4, I think it's 4, where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you know this story? I want to play you a video clip. I think it's even more powerful visually from uh, the, the TV series The Chosen. Some of you know this. It's a great series, uh, and it depicts the scene where Jesus is interacting with this woman. Now, yes, this is not word for word exactly what Jesus says in the Bible. So some of you, the purists, you're like, I can't see that word on the page. It's not there. So yes, they are taking a little bit of creative license, but this is uh, faithful to the text and is faithful to the way in which Jesus had this conversation with the Samaritan woman. So this is a woman who has had five husbands and she's on to the sixth guy now. She's not even, uh, this is not even her husband. And just listen to some of the dialogue and get a sense of the heart of Jesus in this interaction. We play that video clip. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sort this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. Hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. 
Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him. Because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> You forgot your um. Taxi, you told me everything I ever did. <laughs> um, Rabbi, we got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? <laughs> <laughs> That's just a great scene. And I'd encourage you to watch the whole, the whole scene. It's longer than that, the interaction between Jesus and that woman. But you see the heart of Jesus, right? I think it does a good job of just bringing across the heart of, of Christ. A heart of compassion, a heart of mercy for this, for this broken woman. And this is the heart of Jesus towards all those who struggle and suffer, including those who are separated, including divorcees. His compassion is so full and so rich. Uh, and God is always a God who restores and who heals and who redeems, even in the darkest and toughest situation. doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the restoration of your marriage. It may be. It may not be. But God will redeem. That is who he is. That is who our God is. He's a restorer. You can cling on to those promises. He is. book of Hosea says, God says, I have torn you to pieces, now I will restore you. I have injured you, now I will heal you. God will heal you, and he will restore you. And he might do that in some surprising ways. Sometimes, for people who are separated, that might be restoration through a new marriage. It might be through God bringing someone else along, and you get remarried, and I think that that is, that, that is a good thing. Uh, I took a wedding a little while ago for a woman who had gone through a tough separation and divorce and lost a child in the middle of that. And to be able to stand there and take the ceremony and just see the way God had brought such beauty out of such brokenness. 
and see the way that it was just beauty from the ashes and just a new season of life was such a special, special thing. So for some people, that's going to be the way that God restores. Sometimes it may not be. It may or may not be remarriage, but what it will be is the restoration of your life. For those of you that are divorced, those of you that are separated, uh, it might be redemption in a relationship. It might be redemption out of a relationship, but God himself promises he will draw near to you and he will be with you and he will redeem your life, restore your life and draw you in new ways closer to him. If you let him, if you don't push away from him during those times, like you've maybe pushed away from your spouse, but draw near to God, lean into his presence and lean into his love. I think of the story of Rose in our church congregation, and she gave me permission to share the story. Uh, Rose went through a, a tough separation a number of years ago. She'd been married for 12 years. Uh, they've got two kids, two boys, and over time, the marriage went downhill and deteriorated. It got harder and harder, and Rose hung in there, and she fought for it, and she tried, and she remained faithful, and she kept going. But it just became clearer and clearer over time that the marriage wasn't going to last and that her husband wasn't going to stick around. And the day came when he said to her that it was over and he wasn't coming back. And she stood at her window that day. She watched him drive away and she just crumpled to the floor, just full of grief, loss, loneliness, just feeling like she couldn't go on, feeling like she was totally and utterly empty. And she said to me in that in that moment, she just cried out to God and said, God, I just can't. I can't do this. And she sensed the voice of God saying to her, I know you can't, but I can. And through that time, through a brutally hard season, Rose heard God making some pretty specific promises to her that he was going to step in. He was going to be a provider for her. He was going to be her defender. He was going to be her protector. He was going to be like a husband to her. He was going to give her the companionship and the love that she had missed out on for so long. And Rose chose to lean into the grace of God through that time. Not withdrawing herself from the presence of God, but drawing on his love and drawing on his grace. And, and she drew closer to him than she ever had before. And Rose has now come through, and it's still a, a tough time, and she's a, a single mum with all that goes along with that, but she has become part of a group in our church called Plan B, which is a group for women that are going through separation or have been separated. And Rose is now seeing the way that God's working through her to encourage other people and to be there for other people. She went along a little while ago to meet uh, another woman. Uh, Rose and Anna went together to meet this woman. And this is a woman who was herself going through a really tough separation, and Rose was just able to be there and just to say, I've gone through this. Like to hear someone that is able to say, I've been there too. And I, I know. And I know the pain. And I'm here. And just Rose being able to share her story and to encourage this woman. And after they'd had that catch up that night, this other woman messaged Anna. And she said this. And she's given me permission to share this. She said, it honestly helped me so much having the two of you, plus Jesus, visit Hearing Rose and what she went through, I found myself talking to God so much more. And even that in itself has made me feel so much closer to him, even if I can't see his hand in all of this. And so there's someone who's been encouraged by someone else who's gone through separation, and you can just see the way in which God's using Rose's pain 
and her suffering and her grief to now become a ministry, to now become a blessing to someone else and encourage them in these tough circumstances. Isn't that so often what God does? When he allows us to go through difficult times, he will then turn around and use us to encourage someone who's gone through that. And it may be, if you're separated, if you're divorced here this morning, that may be a ministry. Maybe not right now, maybe down the track, but just be open. God may bring someone else along who has gone through the kind of thing you've gone through and say you'll be able to connect with them like others can't. You'll be able to encourage them like other people can't because you know from the inside and you've experienced it and you've been there and keep an open heart. That may be the way in which God brings beauty out of ashes for you. So I just want you to hear this this morning. If you're divorced, separated, if you're carrying all that pain, maybe this morning is surfacing that pain. I'm sorry for that. I know it comes up when we talk about these kinds of things. But just know God is a healer and his word to you is always a word of grace and a word of hope and a word of healing and a word of restoration. So whatever space we're in, whatever marital status we have, single, married, separated, divorced, whatever, I hope that you can step back from the words of Jesus and see that above, above all of this, above what he says, is our loving Heavenly Father, whose heart is so full of love for us that that becomes the source of our love in every human relationship. That above our marriages and above our singleness and above the wreckage maybe of our past marriage or past relationship, whatever it is, above all of that is enthroned your loving Heavenly Father and He loves you. He just delights in you. And is it any coincidence that the Bible describes God as a bridegroom? And God says, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so the Lord your God will rejoice over you. Ultimately, God's love for us is the foundation of everything else. And so let's uphold the importance of marriage in a culture that trivializes it. Let's uphold the sanctity and the dignity of marriage. Let's invest in our marriages. Those of us who are married, let's love our spouses well. Those of you who are single, embrace and love your singleness might even sound strange to say it, but Jesus was single, Paul was single. It is a great calling, maybe for life, maybe for a time, who knows. But embrace that and enjoy doing the things for God that you can do as a single person that you can't do when you are married. And let's love and support those who have gone through separation, who have gone through divorce. Let's be aware of the burden that people are carrying in our church community and beyond. These are heavy burdens, and they don't just suddenly go away. It's not a quick fix. Let's be aware, let's love, let's pray, let's bless, and let's support those who are walking this road. And let's do it all for the name and the glory of Jesus, who is our bridegroom and who has died for his bride, the church, so that one day he will present her to himself, the Bible tells us, as a radiant, spotless glorious bride at the great wedding supper of the Lamb. That's what we have to look forward to. That's where it's heading. Let's live in view of that day. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to lift up to you each person here in the relationships they have right now. Lord, you know, you, you see here the lonely hearts today. You see here the hearts of those who are, are happily married and healthy marriages. You see those in struggling marriages here uh, Lord, you know those listening to this who are thinking about whether their marriage is over or not. Lord, you see those who have decided it is. God, you, you see your heart goes out to those who 
who have had a broken marriage or more than one broken marriage behind them and who carry that with them. You see those that have found new ways forward and those that are struggling to find any kind of way forward, any, any sort of hope. Jesus, I thank you that it really doesn't come down to my words at all. It is your spirit, Lord God, that I trust will minister and bless and touch the hearts of your people now. Just as they are, in whatever space they are, in whatever relationships or lack of relationships they have, would you reach down, God, now by your grace and just pour your love out upon each heart? Would you just remind us of your love greater than any human love? of your presence greater than the presence of any other person? Lord, would you lead us ultimately to find our identity in you, not in a relationship, not even a a great marriage, but to find our identity in you, Jesus, to have you as the center, you as the one who tells us ultimately who we are. And Lord God, help us to be aware of the pain that others around us are carrying. And for those that are carrying pain, I pray, Lord God, that you would place others around them that you would bring one other person along, maybe even today, God, a conversation that might spark something that someone would know they're not alone and would have someone else draw near to love and to provide encouragement. Lord Jesus, we just lift all of our stories, all of our burdens, all of our joys and pains to you. Lord, we acknowledge relationships are messy and hard and beautiful, but broken. And so Jesus, help us, guide us, restore us by your spirit, we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.